Hello and welcome to another episode of Stardust MQ. I'm Cameron Furlong. My guest today is Professor Rich Mildren. Yeah, so my name is Richard Mildren. Thanks for having me on your very nice podcast. Rich is a highly experienced laser scientist, having worked in both academia and industry developing cutting-edge laser technologies for a variety of different fields. But lately, he's been working on synthetic diamond-based lasers that are really advancing the technology of laser guide stars uh, used in astronomical observations. I had the opportunity to sit down with Richard to talk about the work he's done in the past with lasers, what he's doing now, and what might be coming in the future. And so has your, has your research life always been lasers? Um, pretty much, yeah. From the word go, yeah, I moved very quickly uh, into lasers, actually. The main trigger for getting into lasers was actually a vacation scholarship project I did in my second year uni in, at the University of Adelaide. Um, at that time, I had no clue about what I wanted to do. Um, I went into a maths degree at the bachelor, in the Bachelor of Science there. And, yeah, I just did maths as an idea to to basically keep my options open. Uh, my dad recommended me to do maths, so, so I was just really taking his, his advice. Um, but I found university maths very difficult, uh, but physics seemed to be much more natural to me. Um, it was much more hands-on for starters. I took a vacation scholarship project in a, um, in a company in Adelaide, um, which is called LaserX, so it was basically a laser company. And that was that really, it was like a pig in mud for me because it enabled uh, you know, me to do all the things I really liked doing, which was hands-on um, building stuff, electronics, combining with physics, and kind of just making something. So I, I fell into it very quickly from there. Um, I did a second vacation scholarship project at uh, Defence Science and Technology Organisation, and they put me in lasers again. So I just kind of developed that, that uh, interest of mine. Um, I did an honours physics at the University of Adelaide, which wasn't necessarily in lasers, but um, but very closely aligned in atomic physics. Um, and then I took a job at DST, uh, Defence Science and Technology Organisation, but they encouraged me straight away to do a PhD, and that's why I came to Macquarie University uh, in about 1990 to, to study lasers and optics more seriously. So, yeah, it was a very rapid path uh, in, into, into that area. And um, and so also while working uh, in optic, you also have a little bit of uh, of a uh, of overlap into astronomy. So can you tell us how that um, how those two you know optics and astronomy can and intertwine with each other? Yeah, sure. Um, so that's a fairly recent development, actually. Um, I've been doing approximately twenty years of laser research, and uh, the direction has really been in looking at advanced materials for. Um, doing, creating lasers which can address really challenging problems. Um, but only very recently, we've discovered that my material of choice, which is actually diamond, uh, is actually very good at making uh, lasers with high power, but also a very pure spectrum. And that's great for a whole number of things. But it just turns out that as it, the synergy with astronomy is really taking off for a variety of reasons, which I'll, I'll go into in a second. Um, so the basic idea is my connection with astronomy is that we're making lasers to uh, make laser guide stars. Essentially, that's the main application where we're putting a, a star reference in the sky. And just maybe I'll just give a few words on, on, on what that concept is because it's, it's quite interesting in itself. Um, so basically what we do is we use a laser to put a, a star at the top of the atmosphere. 
the star twinkles like any star would twinkle. The cause of the twinkle is, of course, is uh, atmospheric movements and, and uh, atmospheric wind. And of course, many applications want to remove that twinkle, um, not only for um, observing the night sky, um, but also for people who are interested in space situational awareness and the space industry is really big now. So that's really becoming quite big. And also communication with satellites. Uh, if you want to communicate optically with satellites, which people really want to do, fast communications to satellites, ground to space and space to ground, uh, and also encrypted communications to space as well. So quantum encrypted um, optical communications. Yeah, so this, this guide star field is, is it's fairly old, but it's actually really hotting up because not only is it important for astronomy, but defense, uh, also uh, communications and space situational awareness. So yeah, so my area is uh, looking at lasers which can produce these guide stars in the, at the top of the atmosphere, um, which are bright, uh, very small source size, very small spot in the, in the sky. And doing those kinds of things enable us to remove those atmospheric aberrations much more completely, or we can get a much um, better transmit signal out into space or, or and back again uh, if we can make a higher quality guide star and these diamond lasers really do that they, they look to do that job really well um, just recently we've got some funding from uh, us air force and also a, a space company in australia to develop this technology so it's, it's just kicking off now and, and uh, progressing quite rapidly probably one one thing that i might want to mention actually is that the I mean some of the guide star applications are quite fascinating actually it's really I really enjoy that, mm. that area of, of uh, laser applications and the, there's many several reasons for that actually is that the, the starters what we're doing actually is we've got a laser beam that's exciting the sodium layer which sits at 100 kilometers altitude mm -hmm. and what the, the whole goal is, yeah, is to have this small source, which is very bright at the top of the atmosphere. And the physics behind how, how you get that uh, fluorescence emission from the sodium layer back down towards the ground and have it bright is actually extremely complicated. Um, there's a thing called optical pumping where we're, we're cycling atoms uh, amongst two energy levels um, rather than pumping a full Doppler broadened spectrum. Uh, that's getting a little bit involved, I know, but uh, it, it basically means that we're the, the, the choice is we're not uh, exciting all the atoms up there in in that spot. We just take a select population and we we cycle it through uh, by carefully tuning the wavelength to a specific transition. Um, every time you excite a sodium atom, it gives a little momentum kick and it moves away from us from the the laser source. And then we kind of have to chase it with the frequency. We have to tune the laser a little bit to chase that atom, you know. Uh, it's called snow plowing of the sodium atoms. You can imagine the, the beam pushing the sodium laser, uh, atoms up. Um, there's another idea where we can try and make a multicolored guide star. I mean, the, the basic vanilla variety is actually fluorescing in the orange, the, that characteristic orange color. But if you excite the sodium at, in the UV, you can make it fluoresce on the red and the yellow plus also the UV 
and you can use those multiple colors to enhance the um, the encryption or the what's the word um, the aberration correction can be done much more uh, you know, in a much more refined way. So the, the physics of the what goes on the sodium layer is actually quite fascinating. Um, the other aspect is too that um, not only is there the need to make these stars brighter, um, we, we really want to make them very bright. Uh, it's possible maybe we can make them bright enough to be able to use them in the daytime. Um, and this is a, sort of a long-term goal, but something that, that um, has not been proven that we can't, can't do it yet. Um, so, so these ideas are making very bright guide stars, uh, making multicolored guide stars, um, can actually open up a whole range of uh, new applications in the space industry or enhance the, the present ones as well. So I think, I think it's a really interesting um, growth area. You mentioned your uh, your your focus on development of material for lasers. And I remember you, you were working on this while um, I was in your classes at, at, at university. So can you tell us tell us a little bit more about um, your work with those diamond lasers and the materials they use. Yeah, so uh, I was introduced to diamond probably about on two thousand nine. So that's what twelve years ago now. Um, diamond is is of course a very old material. I mean, people know a lot about diamond. However. At the time, not really much was known about its laser properties. I, my background was in lasers, which, which are made from materials like diamond, actually. But we'd never actually tried diamond at that stage. Um, and we wanted to, but, but by, by good luck, we actually bumped into somebody who knew a grower in the UK. And we got this one piece come across from the UK. <clears throat> and we made it laze very quickly. And that set in chain a whole raft of events which um, opened up a, a quite a range of uh, investigations in, in multiple directions. We suddenly had lasers running at various colours using diamond, uh, in the visible, infrared, in the UV and things like that. Uh, we started to build um, lasers which were higher power, um, ultra-fast lasers where they were use, using lasers with very short pulses, femtosecond pulses. Uh, it's really been quite fascinating in, in the, just the range of performance these, the diamond can produce as a, as a laser material. Yeah, so um, yeah, so my research has really switched onto this material. It's, it's, it used to involve a whole lot of other materials, but now it's really just focused on diamond. It's just been such a rich hotbed for providing a, um, a range of new phenomena um, that, that's kept a whole lot of PhD students uh, occupied, uh, postdocs, and, and the funding agencies have really liked it. Um, mostly because diamond is an extreme material. It, uh, its thermal conductivity is, is 10 times more conductive than metals and hundreds of times to thousands of times more conductive than most other optical materials. Um, it can laze over the, almost the complete spectrum, whereas many other materials can only laze in a very narrow part of the spectrum. So it's just opened up a whole range of investigations including um, this one that I mentioned earlier with the, the guide stars. It also turns out that um, diamond can actually produce very pure colours. Um, if you get any laser off the shelf, if you get a laser pointer, for example, uh, it looks monochromatic, right? Um, we're familiar with colours, the colour of lasers being very pure colour. But actually, if you look in detail at the spectrum, it actually consists of a, a comb of modes or a comb of frequencies. 
and they're very it unstably jumps between these these frequencies. That's the natural way that lasers tend to work, uh, surprisingly. Whereas diamond actually looks to be very good at producing just one very pure frequency and just stably sit on, sit on that frequency. That's why it's very uh, useful for this guide star application. Also for other applications where we're needing very precise frequencies for like quantum science, uh, sensing and things like that. So why have we been using uh, diamonds for lasers? It seems to be a little bit more of a newer um, development. Would that be correct in saying that? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, the, the, the basic reason for that is that we haven't had access to high quality synthetic diamond until the last 15 years. <clears throat> uh, prior to 15 years ago, sure, we had diamonds you can dig up out of the ground. Um, there was some diamond growth capability back then, um, but to produce high purity, low absorption, that means you know low, low absorption um, a diamond, uh, it's only really been fairly recent. And that, that was our key actually. We, we, we got onto that material very early in the piece. It was quite a bit of luck um, that, that, we, that we got onto it so early. So um, in, your, in your career, uh, you haven't just done research, you've also done a lot of work in industry. Um, I, you, you've touched on it just a little bit, but do you want to talk a little bit, uh, expand on that a little bit more? Yeah, the research I've been doing is quite applied. Um, the yeah, lasers, are, I think people know that they're used in, in quite a number of, of fields. Um, so when we develop a new device, uh, we often patent the technology um, we, we, before we publish it and try and protect it. Um, I've probably got about five to 10 patents at the moment. And the, you know, most, with some regularity, they kind of lead to some industry uh, in interest and it might look, look to do towards developing a product. Um, I first got involved in this um, in the very early stages, actually before Diamond. I was part of a spin-off um, out of the physics department. We're looking at high-power lasers for skin treatments. So we're looking at lasers which um, could be able to flick colour very quickly. So we had a laser which technology which would jump between red or green or infrared uh, very quickly at the, the flick of a switch. And this is exactly what doctors wanted to do uh, skin treatments. And so I spent several years actually developing several products uh, for that market, so to speak, the medical market. The company still exists actually, but the products never actually were produced at any uh, any great numbers, but, uh, but nevertheless, it was a, a great experience uh, to go through that. Yeah, so at the moment we're in a phase, the diamond is uh, actually very promising for making spin-off products or uh, um, products that might support a spin-off company or or a joint industry venture. Um, but we're probably a little bit early stage for that. And the, the, probably the big issue is that the diamond growth is so new that actually getting a regular supply of diamond to support uh, a growth industry is a bit challenging at the moment. So that's what's kind of holding us back. We've actually got a number of patents in, in the bank, so to speak, ready to go when that finally comes around. Um, yeah, so it's just the nature of the area I'm in that it leads to lots of little industry uh, spin-offs. Yeah, it makes sense that more, you know, practical and hands-on development would lead into more um, re uh, industry-based um, work, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, we're just lucky that we, we can do both very 
good science. Like we, we publish papers in, in, um, uh, in the top optics journals, um, Optica, sometimes Nature, uh, Nature Communications. Um, that's a lot of the basic physics coming out of Diamond, but then we're also producing devices that are, are quite useful in the short term. It's not like kind of quantum science, which perhaps might have a longer time horizon than, than us. You've been in the, in, the, in the academic game for a while. How have you seen it change since, you know, when you started to, to now? Well, it's a very timely question, Cameron, because <laughs> it's changing very quickly at the moment. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so the way I describe it is that, you know, we've actually been very fortunate for the last 10 to 20 years. Uh, we've actually been, you know, the university system and research has been kind of booming on the back of, globalization and, and having international students and things like that. I mean, I've only known the physics department to be a growing department in that time, not, not growing at a huge rate, but nevertheless, it's, it's never really gone backwards very much. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess that boom has really sh sharply come to an end. Uh, it was coming to an end before COVID anyway, but the COVID really has accelerated things quite a lot. And I think most people are aware that the university system is really shrinking a little bit in Australia. And, you know, why that sounds bad, I mean, that, that brings lots of challenges and um, it's a challenge to morale too, I, I guess, in the physics department to cope with those kinds of things. There are many actually opportunities coming out at the same time. Um, so an academic career is a bit tougher now, I'd say. But what, what is happening actually is that uh, governments are really investing much more heavily in innovation, um, space innovation, defense innovation, and things like that. And there's actually just huge demand for, for optics and laser skills, or probably skills across the board, but I, I see it mostly in optics and lasers, right? Um, so it's actually a very exciting time, I think, for people who are studying op, you know, optics and, and, and science. Um, because there's just a large array of, yeah, just a large demand in multiple directions. It could be optics for the communications, it could be uh, space optics, uh, uh, space communications, uh, defense applications, um, quantum. Quantum is huge, of course, and, and lasers really are one of the engines behind the quantum revolution. So, and that's really taking off too. Um, so, so, as a researcher, I think the opportunities are there. Um, and, and growing. Stardust MQ is a podcast made with the support of the Macquarie University Department of Physics and Astronomy and the Macquarie University Physics and Astronomy Society. Thanks to Oliver Doherty for editing this episode. Our intro music is by Poddington Bear and our outro theme is from Ketsa. I'll talk to you next time.